0: Oh yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, where we bring you everything from high school sports, NCAA, NFL, NBA, HBCU. It's the train that is building up ahead of steam. So grab your tickets, get on board, enjoy the ride and let this train take you on a sports journey it's the a train sports talk podcast your host and conductor Anthony Smith let's get this train on the track and
1: about Be sure to get your ticket you <clears throat> Everybody's got to spend their So be sure that you will be right on time. Everybody, all aboard. Everybody, all aboard.
0: Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and we have a lot to get to in a limited amount of time. We got high school scores to recap, as well as college football recap, as well as some controversy in college football regarding some top-ranked teams. One in particular, one has to be the luckiest, and now, as with Ladies Ranking, they've dropped is spot two, number four. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more on the A Train Sports Talk podcast. Well, we welcome you into another edition of the A Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. And
2: the high school football season in the state of Kansas pretty much is wrapped up for the regular season. So basically, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the scores. Normally, I would
0: do it in by classification, but I'm not pulling up what I normally get on Catchy Kansas. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you, like, news reports. They just run down the scores. So just bear with me this time around. And I will get you your scores and a little bit of snippet of some news. I'm on
2: the uh, VIPE high school sports site. VIPE, Kansas to be exact. And hopefully I have the right ones. One thing we do know is uh, an exciting high school football season. And who would have thought, get this, Bishop Carroll gets upset by Wichita East. So that knocked them down, even in the 5A rankings, as they get ready for the playoffs. So bear with me as I get you these scores here because I need to get an update. And here we go. Derby versus Maine South kicked off the beginning of Friday Night Lights week
0: eight. On the first play of scrimmage Friday night, Derby Junior Dylan Edwards kicked off Friday Night Lights with an 80 yard touchdown, the 80 yard rushing touchdown at May South. But the Edwards touchdown party didn't stop. The next two times Edwards touched the ball, he found Peter both times, giving the Panthers an early 21 0 lead en route to a 52 14 win over May South. You could say the Panther magic ran out a little bit when the Panthers took longer than one play to score, but Edwards got his fourth touchdown of the first quarter seconds later. He finished with six touchdowns, mm-hmm. getting 200 yards on three carries. He had a game high 276 rushing yards on 11 carries. Quarterback Mercer Thatcher was five of seven passing for 100 yards. In the battle, up, of the undefeateds. Riley Max and Andale proved to be too much for Wichita Collegiate in the 26-9 win. Max rushed for 113 yards on 13 attempts and added two touchdowns, while Cody Pathomare added 121 rushing yards and a touchdown. Andale moves to 8-0. Andover Central continues winning after a 35-0 victory over Arc City. Andover Central is now 7-1. Jackson Reese had 20 carries for 178 yards and touched two touchdowns. While Kai Coons had two passengers. Jakes Rees Reese added a touchdown as well. In the upset of the night, Wichita East took care of Bishop Carroll, 26-19.
2: After starting the season one and three, Including a fifty-six-zero loss to Northwest in week four,
0: East has won four straight. Win over Carroll is by far the most impressive of the season. Kenny stays undefeated after a 56-20 win over Larner. Quarterback Harrison Both threw for three touchdowns in the win. Fueller moves to 71 with a 76-0 victory
2: over Circle. Ouch. Running back Sam Elliott had himself a day. With four touchdowns, Mays gets back gets a
0: bounce-back win over Hutch, 42 to 14. The Eagles are six and two. Moavane beat Wellington, 40 to 26, thanks to six total touchdown from Mason Ellis. Ellis and the Wildcats have won six straight after dropping the first two. The Andover Trojans moved to six and two after the 49-13 win over Goddard. Wichita Northwest. Gets the tough win over Hayes, 61 to 40 to move to 6-2 on the season. Salina the Central are on a six-game winning streak with a 49-14 win over their rival Salina South. The Mustangs are now on 6-2. Salina Central's Keon McMillan had 223 rushing yards on 14 carries. He had three touchdowns. Kingman handed Shepherd his first loss with a 41-0 victory. Kingman's lone loss came in the season opener against Cheney. Eisenhower moves to five and three after a forty-two to seven win over Valley Center. Hillsborough beats
2: Lions fifty-four to seven for his fourth straight victory. Matthew Poteck threw for two touchdowns, completing seven of seven passes for one hundred fifty-eight yards.
0: Harris had 111 yards rushing on five carries for two touchdowns, and Putek added 106 rushing yards and a touchdown. Nicholas Smith caught a 52-yard TD pass from Putek, and also returned an interception 70 yards for a touchdown. Gossel, Madison Lodge, 38-22, to earn his first district title for the first time since 2008. Medicine Lodge struck first and led 8-0, 14-8, and 22-14. But Gossel scored twice in the final minute of the second quarter and added another touchdown early in the third quarter. Jake Williams led Gossel with 156 rushing yards on 18 carries, and Casey Smith had 103 rushing yards on four carries. They had two touchdowns apiece, Chance Winter, Led Manson Lodge with 109 passing yards and 60 rushing yards. So now what I'm going to do, I'm just going to give you a rundown of scores. Indale 29, Collegiate 6. And over Central 35, Arc City 0. Argonia Attica, 58, Fairfield 8. Beloit St. John's Tempton 52, Rocky 6, Bueller 76, Circle Zero. Caldwell seventy-two, Chase six, Campus thirty-one, Newton ten, Canton Gower fifty-four, Lincoln zero, Chase County forty-six, Oxford zero, Cheney fifty-six, Lorna twenty, Clay Center sixty-six, Council Grove eight,
2: Derby fifty-two, May South fourteen, Douglas thirty-four, Bell Plain fourteen, East 26. Bishop Carroll, 19. Eisenhower,
0: 42. Valley Center, 7. Eureka, 32. Jayhawk Lynn, 6. Fairfield, 52. Udall, 6. Garden Plain, 70. Blue Fem, 6. Gossel, 38. Medicine Lodge, 22. Golden Plains, 62. Burton, 13. Homestead 46. Hutchison, Trinity, 13. Haven, 42. Sterling, 12. Hillsboro, 48. Hutch, Trinity, 8. Roisington, 7. Beloit 6. Inman, 38. Smith
2: Center, 15. Kingman, 41. Chaparral, 0. Liberal, 77. North, 26. Little River, 48. Solomon, 0. Madison, 50, Central Burton, 0,
0: Marion, 36, Lions, 13, Mays, 42, Wellington, 26, Northwest, 61, Hayes, 40, Oswego, my good friend, Coach Matt, 51, Cedarville, Dexter, 6, Plainville, 56, Salina, Sacred Heart, 0, Pratt, 54. Nicholson, 8. Remington, 22. Elkhart, 6. Rose Hill, 22. Independence, 13. Salina Central, 49. Salina South, 14. Cedric, 28. Conway Springs, 14. Southeast of Saline, 42. Scott City,
2: 0. South Barbara, 46. South Haven, 0. Stafford, 58. Central Christian, 30. Lamego, 45. Abilene, 7. West Elk, 54. Gate Center, 6. Wichita
0: South, 48. Doubling up West, 28. Winfield, 24. Also doubled up El Dorado, 12. And Thursday's
2: score was Andover, 49. Garter 13. There were the scores and a little bit of news for you. Hope that brought you up to speed.
0: High school throughout the state of Kansas. There was some little eight men mixed in there as well,
2: too, as I seen Oswego on there. Glad to see them. Glad they got the victory. So now, what I'm going to do, I'm
0: going to go ahead and take a break. And when I come back, I'll get into some college news. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, 4 dollars a month, or 9 dollars a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and
2: enjoy the ride. Woo!
0: Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hope you are enjoying the ride. This train is going to take you on the journey. I'm your host and conductor. And now we're getting ready to dive into the college football scene. So, how about we just go ahead and get on
2: into this right now, without further ado, the option down here taking care of the football. I think they've gone away from oh, here. You go, Robitai keeper and
3: touchdown. Navy. What a drive! Yeah, and they went away from the option down here because they have not run it very well 179 yards and four touchdowns in a half. Nuts. A transfer from Alabama, not just a guy who went there and didn't play at all. Ritter delivers right on the money, and that's going to be a 6 and touchdown. Josh Wiley, the tight end. The Bearcats are an extra point away from tying this game. He's got a huge window to get that ball in there. Quicker tempo here, and that pass is into coverage, and it's intercepted. Inside the five by Jamal Glenn. Final play of the half. Bales very low with some mustard on it, and it's good. Look at that line drive field goal, and Cincinnati's going to take a lead to the locker room. Cucumbers, vinegar. <laughs> wow, salt and pepper. Uh, He's a veggie guy. Up the middle, of there you go. Ford. Down yep. into the open with the power and the speed combo. Touchdown, Bearcats! Sort of to Touchdown, Cincinnati. Eat more cucumbers. 43 yards. Touchdown, Jerome Ford. Ritter keeps it. Dumps it short. Tight end. Wiley touchdown. His second of the game. They said they were going to try to get him more involved. He's been very involved. Cincinnati punches it in from three yards out. Josh Wiley. Lavatana dives in. Touchdown, Navy. Game not quite over.
2: 50 seconds to go. And those were your highlights. Cincinnati. And Navy. And this is the time of the year when you're one of those top teams.
0: And you're playing those lower tier teams. Bottom of the conference, you cannot take no time off. Because now, in essence,
2: you are that team's bowl game. So, the week eight college slate left something to be desired, but given the way the year has gone,
0: the lackluster schedule did little to deter the unpredictability of the season. Cincinnati and Oklahoma, both undefeated with realistic college football playoff chances, were pushed by significant underdogs but survived to keep the hope
2: of a perfect season alive. Other teams weren't quite as lucky as considerable favorites. Penn State fell in nine overtimes. Yes, you heard that right. Nine,
0: the Illinois and Happy Valley, while previously unbeaten Oklahoma State fell in Ames to Iowa State to disrupt this week's top 10. And I'm going to get back to that because. There was a play in there. Whether you're a fan of either team or not, there was a play in there. I'm just going to say it, and then I'll get back to it later. The referee should have choked on his whistle. And hopefully I can pull that play up. Anyway, meanwhile, Michigan kept on winning ahead of an undefeated showdown with rival Michigan State next week. Alabama and Ohio State continued to rebound in impressive fashion after early season losses. And the ACC balance of power has officially shifted. All that in a boring week, eh? Now that the action is behind,
2: it's time to take a look at this week's power ranking. Of course, number one, Georgia Bulldogs, 7-0. The top-ranked Bulldogs spent
0: their off week trying to get healthy before their final run to a potential college football playoff spot. UGA coach Kirby Smart said, quarterback JT Daniels is throwing more in practice, although he isn't ready to say whether Stetson Bennett III or Daniels was start against Florida on Saturday. Bennett started the past three games while Daniels was sidelined and playing well, guiding the Bulldogs to victories over three ranked foes. Running back Kendon Milton is expecting this time with an injury, and Kenny McIntosh has been bothered by a hamstring, so tailback depth is a possible concern heading
2: down the stretch. Look cools at number two, the Alabama Crimson Tide, 6-1. This is not the
0: Alabama defense of old, and there was a time Saturday night that the Crimson Tide actually seemed to be on their heels. But it was an interception by redshirt freshman Jalen Amora Davis, and 47-yard return that changed the complexion of the game and fueled a 28-point fourth quarter, leading to Alabama's 52-24 victory over Tennessee. The Crimson Tide allowed 346 yards, racked up 574 yards of their own offensively with quarterback Bryce Young throwing for 371 yards and two touchdowns. In his last two albums, Young has passed for 719 yards
2: with six touchdown passes and no interceptions. Make note of that. Number three, Cincinnati Bearcats, still
0: undefeated at 7-0. Cincinnati offense woke up just long enough and scored just enough to fend off an upset-minded Navy but the Bearcats went three and out four times and gained just 271 yards, that's 5.3 per play, against a midship in defense that had been allowing 370 yards per game and 6.1 per play. Desmond Ryder went 18 of 30 for just 176 yards with two touchdowns and an interception. Up 27-10 and cruising, the Bearcats allowed 10 late points and an onside kick recovery to give Navy, a 27-point underdog, a chance to tie or win before Arquan Bush's interception finally sealed the win. This was easily Cincinnati's least impressive performance of the season, but the cat survived in advance. Next up, a trip to Tulane. That could be a dangerous
2: game. You don't believe me? Watch game tape of Tulane versus OU. Now, look who's number four. And if you're OU fans, you're probably thinking this is a slap
0: in the face. Not because it's Ohio State,
2: but due to the fact that Cincinnati is ranked number three. And you drop. How much did you drop? We'll get to the ranking. We'll get to their spot. Go your horses. But in the number four spot.
0: Yeah, those OSU, and I'm not talking about Oklahoma
2: State. I'm talking about those Ohio State Buckeyes up at number four. What do you think the state of Ohio is feeling right now? You have the Cincinnati Bearcats undefeated.
0: You got the Ohio State Buckeyes coming in at number four.
2: These two teams do not play each other. If Cincinnati can maintain an Ohio State, you can't
0: tell me that the state of Ohio wouldn't mind saying Cincinnati versus Ohio State. Anyway, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 6-1. The Buckeyes dominated Indiana. And speaking of Indiana, what's happened to them? They were showing so much promise last year, came in with so much fanfare this year. As B.B. King said, the thrill is gone. (laughs) The Buckeyes dominated Indiana, scoring 44 points in the first half. The offense has now put up 35 or more points in the first half for four straight games, which is tied for the longest streak in the season over the last 15 years. Quarterback C.J. Stroud has started to hit his stride, and finished the game with 266 yards and four touchdowns, and running back Trevion Henderson had two touchdowns of his own. The Buckeyes have been trending in the right direction the past few games,
2: and the team is playing as well as it has all season. Number five, Michigan Wolverines at
0: 7-0. The Wolverines avoided any chances of a loss looking ahead to his game against Michigan State and handled Northwestern in a 33-7 win. Minus a few fumbles, it was a relatively uneventful game that saw Michigan finish with 294 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground. The defense held Northwestern to 233 total yards of offense and had a fumble recovery and an interception with a blocked punt on special teams as well. Michigan moves to 7-0 as it now prepares for the short trip to East Lansing to take on the Spartans.
2: Oh, Sparty. Speaking of Sparty, coming in number six, Michigan State Spartans 7-0.
0: The open week came at a good time for MSU, which is 7-0, but fortunate to win two of its past four games, Nebraska-Indiana. Nebraska's been a thorn in the state of Michigan's side. Anyway, Mel Tucker's team will look to attack downfield against a Michigan defense that hasn't faced great passing offenses this season. The Spartans averaged 9.2 yards per attempt, which ranks third in the Big Ten. Top receivers, Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, and Trey Mosley, all average more than 15 yards per reception. The extra week should help quarterback Peyton Thorne reset as he completed a season low 53.8% of his attempts against Indiana and at his
2: first multiple interception game. Now we move to number eight. Actually, number seven, but they're 8-0. And I'm just going to say it like this. Could this be the most luckiest 8-0 team? Or the most Overrated rated number 17. That remains to be seen. You be the judge. However, number seven, and what a drop that was.
0: Depends on what poll. One poll had them number three, so they dropped four spots. Another poll had them number four, so they dropped probably three spots. Either way it goes, they dropped. That's how bad their performance was. How bad was the Sooners' first half when they trailed Kansas 10-0?
4: The Oklahoma offense
0: had nearly as many yards, 75, on their first drive of the second half as they did in the first 30 minutes, 78. Ashley had one more first down, 5-4. The Sooners eventually put up 35 points and 320 yards in the second half to pull away. But the Sooners are frustrated by their slow starts and struggles on defense. Kansas hung around until the very end. Winning 16 straight is an accomplishment, no doubt, as we've seen a record number of ranked teams lose this season.
2: But the Sooners have been operating with some razor-thin margins. So now we see what the committee really thinks of Oklahoma after such a lackluster performance. And let me just throw this out there. There was a play in there. And I'm getting mixed reaction on it. And this will probably be my poll question. Which, by the way, Anchor is powered by Spotify. So this poll
0: question will end up on Spotify. So let me just give you the gist of it. Was forward progress stopped? Or did the referee do the right thing by not blowing the whistle and blowing the play dead? That would be the poll question. Be interested to see what your comments are.
2: So now we move to the number eighteen, and they are slowly
0: rising back up in the rankings. Number eight,
2: out uh, the Pac-12, the Oregon
0: Ducks at six and one. It appears the Ducks are making a habit of outplaying down to their competition until they can't afford to. At the Rose Bowl Saturday, it happened again. Unranked UCLA put together a picture-perfect first quarter, going up 14-0 and making the Oregon defense look like it was made of Swiss cheese. But Oregon responded with a 34-3 scoring run over the next two quarters, including a 43-yard touchdown run from Anthony Brown that seemingly put the game away. Oregon's defense forced Bruins quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson to beat the Ducks with his arm instead of his feet. And in the fourth quarter, he nearly did. Thompson-Robinson led two touchdown
2: drives while the Bruins defense picked up Brown off twice. While the Bruins defense picked Brown off twice.
0: Yet the comeback collapsed at midfield as Thompson-Robinson exited the game with an undisclosed injury. Number nine, old Miss Rebels, 6-1. So maybe LSU coach Ed Orgeron was right. Maybe old Miss coach Lane Kiffin was throwing him a smoke screen when he said quarterback Matt Corral was banged up and not a sure thing to play. Corral certainly looked okay when Corral went through warm-ups and started and sliced and diced the LSU defense running and passing. But maybe more impressive than that was the Ole Miss defense, which stepped up after allowing an opening drive touchdown and didn't let the Tigers into the end zone the rest of the first half. The
2: rest of the half in the third quarter in the 31 17 win. Number 10, Iowa Hawkeyes. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz
0: on Wednesday spoke about how Colin plays for the Hawkeyes isn't like when he played Techmobile as a kid. I was looking for the reset button the other day and couldn't find it, Forrence said. Quarterback Spencer Petrus and the Hawkeyes' offense tries to reboot after a miserable performance on October the 16th at Purdue that featured only seven points, four interceptions, and 271 yards. Petrus needs to be sharper going forward, but he also needs help from a wide receiver group that has been largely irrelevant outside of Nico Regini. Iowa must have a better offensive play when it falls behind in games, or doesn't collect takeaways in bunches. So that's your top 10. I'm not finished, but I will come back
2: and give you some more because we're looking at the top 25. So what I want you to do is stay locked in your seats. The train is still building up some steam.
0: It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to
2: A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo!
0: Welcome back to the A-Train Sport Talk podcast. And I make it my duty, try to not slip in showing my brethren from the HBCU schools some love. So this segment, I'm going to be looking at some HBCU game day news. Because I think you, the listeners out there, deserve it. Because I'm the one that's giving you news that you don't normally hear because we're so inundated with the mainstream sports scene. So I'm going to show my brothers from the HBCU some love in this segment. And have we got some news for you. So without further ado, let's just get right into this and play this for you. So So with that we say congratulations to Sonya Steele's, definitely history in the making. So now we go ahead and give you some HBCU some more HBCU news as we're looking at this Information right here where HBCU stand in D two football playoff picture. That's just some of the news. So the NCAA released the first of the first iteration of D two football regional rankings for determining the twenty eight playoff participants. The NCAA divides those twenty eight participants into four super regions and the super regions are divided based on geography each regional ranking reflects 10 teams in the rankings essentially the seven playoff spots and the first three teams out so what hbcus are included in the first d2 football regional rankings the cia and the siac compete in the super regional two along with the Gulf South Conference and South Atlantic Conference. The three teams recognized in the first poll is Bowie State at 5-0 against in-region teams, 7-1 overall, as the second seed. Albany State, 7-1, 7-1, as the third seed. And Fayetteville State, 6-1, 6-1, in the 10th position. What is the significance of each team's position? The top four seeds would host a playoff game. If the games were played today, Bowie State would host 7th seed Morris Hill, 5-2, while Albany State would host 6th seed Wingate, 6-1. Fayetteville State has has only has one loss, so what gives? FSU has two things working against it. First, FSU played Wingate but lost. The playoff committee uses head-to-head matchups to help with seeding. Secondly, FSU has a very weak opponent's winning percentage, OWP. OWP is another criteria used in determining seeding selection. FSU's OWP is .367. FSU's best win is against a 5-2 in D2 Shaw, and the Broncos are 1-1 against teams with a 500 record or better in D2 play. FSU's OWP is poor mainly because of the CIAA South's pitiful records, and the South isn't likely to come to FSU's aid to finish the regular season. Livingstone is 1-7, and, and WSSU is 3-3. Three, three, three three. By comparison, Bowie State's OWP is .461 to this point. And has a 4-0 record against teams 500 or greater, New Haven, Saginaw Valley State, Virginia Union, and Chowen. Who is on the playoff committee? Two members represent each conference in a super region this year. Reggie Barlow, Virginia State, and Anthony Bennett. And Anthony Bennett, Fedville State represent the CIAA, while Tim Bowens, Clark Atlanta. And Linda Bell, Fort Valley State, represent the SIAC. What else do I need to know about the D2 football playoffs? There are no automatic qualifiers you would see in FCS play. Rather, each team is selected as an at large participant. Schools seated 5 through 7 could jump to another region to save on travel costs as deemed by the NCAA. In this case, Bowie State could be vulnerable to hosting a school from Super Regional 1. While Albany State is likely to host someone in in region given their geography, rankings do not include games yet to be played. Games against non-Division 2 schools do not count when qualifying for the playoffs, i.e., Bowie's lost to Delaware State, did not hurt BSU in this scenario. So there you have some HBCU news. Like I say, I'm going to do my best to always show some love to my brothers in the hbcu so now what i'm going to do here i am going to shift back that is after i take a break and come back and give you some more ncaa news maybe dive into a little bit of nfl because there's a lot of talk going on so it's the A-Train Sports Talk Pie. your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. So stay tuned. I have more coming your way. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast.
4: I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Woo-woo.
0: the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the segment where I go ahead and show some love to my HBCU brothers, and I guess, to start this segment off, sister. That's right. The MEAC names a new commissioner, and would you like to know who she is? Well, we're about to find out right now. As the MEAC Names a new commissioner.
4: The Miak has a new commissioner, and they did not have to go far to find her. The conference announced on Tuesday that Sonia Stills will take over for Dr. Dennis Thomas, who is retiring at the end of the year. Stills becomes the first female commissioner in MEAC history and the first in HBCU Division I history. She joins Jackie McWilliams, commissioner of the CIAA, as two women who now lead half of the four major HBCU conferences in the country. Stills is currently the Chief of Staff and Chief Operating Officer of the conference and has worked in the office for nearly 20 years. Prior to working in the MEAC office, she served as Hampton's Coordinator of Athletic Academic Support and was the Senior Woman Administrator for the Pirates. Stills graduated from Old Dominion and later received a master's degree from Hampton. Ms. Stills released the following statement via the press release, quote, I'm honored to be named the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference's next commissioner. I've learned a great deal in my tenure with the conference and look forward to continuing the MEAC's history of excellence. Thank you to the MEAC Council of Presidents and Chancellors for this opportunity. And thank you to Commissioner Dr. Dennis E. Thomas for your leadership and mentorship over the last 19 years. For more information on this developing story, you can read the latest at hbcugameday.com. But the MIAC with a new commissioner, Sonia Stills, moving up and taking over. Second loss in the
0: world. Right. Yes, the applause was worthy. Sonia Stills, commissioner after this year of the MEAC, congratulations, much congratulations. So now we look at where HBCUs stand in the D2 football playoff picture. The initial 2021 D2 football regional rankings are out and two HBCUs are sitting pretty while a third is on the outside looking in. The NCAA released the first, the first. There we go. The first adoration of D two football regional rankings for determining the twenty eight playoff participants. The NCAA divides those twenty eight participants into four super regionals, and the super regions are divided based on geography. Each regional ranking reflects 10 teams in the rankings essentially the seven playoff spots and the first three teams out so we're going to take a look so what hbcus are included in the first d2 football regional rankings ciaa and the siac compete in the super regional two along with the gulf South Conference and South Atlantic Conference. The three teams recognized in the first poll is Bowie State five and 0 against in region team and seven one overall as the second seed, Albany State seven and one and seven one as the third seed, and Fayetteville State six and one and six and one in the tenth position. What is the significance of each team's position? The top four seeds would host a playoff game. If the games were played today, then Bowie State would host seventh seed Mars Hill at 5-2, while Albany State would host six seed Wingate 6-1. Fayetteville State has only one loss. What gives? FSU has two things working against it. First, FSU played Wingate but lost. The playoff committee uses head-to-head matchups to help with seeding. Secondly, FSU has a very weak, get this, opponent's winning percentage, which is classified as OWP. OWP is another criteria used in determining seeding selection. FSU's OWP is .367. FSU's best win is against a 5-2 in D2 shot, and the Broncos are one and one against teams with a 500 record or better in D2 play. FSU's OWP is poor mainly because of the CIAA South pitiful record, and the South isn't likely to come to FSU's aid to finish the regular season. Livingstone is one and seven, and WSSU is three and three. By comparison, Bowie State's OWP is .461 to this point and has a 4-0 record against teams 500 or greater. New Haven, Saginaw Valley State, Virginia Union, and Chatham. Who is on the playoff committee? Two members represent each conference in a Super Region this year. Reggie Barlow, Virginia State, and Anthony Bennett, Fayetteville State, represent the CIAA. while Tim Bowens, Clark Atlanta, and Linda Bell, Fort Valley State, represent the SIAC. What else do I need to know about the D2 football playoffs? There are no automatic qualifiers like you would see in FCS play. Rather, each team is selected as an at-large participant. Schools seated 5 to 7 could jump to another region to save on travel costs as deemed by the NCAA. In this case, Bowie State could be vulnerable to hosting a school from Super Region 1, while Albany State is likely to host someone in in region given their geography rankings do not include games yet to be played games against non-d2 schools do not count when qualifying for the playoffs i.e. Bowie State's loss to Delaware State did not hurt VSU in this scenario. So there's a little bit of news from the HBCU sports scene
2: Also, do is
0: we can pull up the scores. So here's a look at HBCU football scores from Saturday, October the 23rd. Livingstone, zero. WSSU, 21. Fayetteville State, 40. St. Augustine's, 12. JCSU, 14, Shaw, 20, Bowie State, 27, Virginia Union, 0, Chowan 28, East Carolina State University, no, that's the game, be right, ECSU, 32, Lincoln, Pennsylvania, 3, VSU, 23. Biggest shocker out of the CIA eight on Saturday might be Elizabeth City, there we go, Elizabeth City knocking off Chowin at its homecoming. Bowie State held off a formidable Virginia Union, and the rest of the conference went chalk on Saturday. University of Arkansas, Pine Bluff, 3. Arkansas, 45. Bethune-Cookman, 12. Jackson State University, 42. FAMU 31, Mississippi Valley State 28, Prairie View 48, Southern 21, Alcorn State 44, Texas Southern 27. It was a cut, the check day for Arkansas Pine Bluff. Jackson State shook off a slow start to easily roll by Bethune-Cookman University. Florida A&M made a crucial fourth down stop in late fourth quarter to stab off the upset attempt from Mississippi Valley State. Prairie View a and spoiled homecoming for Southern University while Alcorn State weighed out weather delay to roll over Texas Southern. And the SIAC. Mind you, that last one I read off to you, those were scores from the SWAT. So now we move to the SIAC. Miles, 28, Kentucky State, 21, Allen, 40, Erskine, 47, Central State, 13, Edward Waters, 56, Lane, 21, Tuskegee, 17, Clark, Atlanta, 7, Fort Valley State, 40, Savannah State, 0, Albany State, 30, Morehouse, 20, Benedict, 5, Miles College pulled off a quality victory at Kentucky State. Allen University heads south in due west South Carolina. Falling to Erskine, Edward Waters had no problem with Central State. Lane poured cold water on the Tuskegee homecoming. Fort Valley State wiped the bad taste out of his mouth from last week's throttling. The Albany State versus Savannah State game turned out to be more hype than the game to watch in HBCU football on Saturday. Albany State is the team to beat for now. Morehouse continues to turn things around. It will get a thorough test next week against Albany State. And in the MEAC, Norfolk State, 45. Howard, 31. NCCU, 28. Morgan State, 17. South Carolina State, 13. Delaware State, 7. Norfolk State spoiled Howard's homecoming in the nation's capital. Morgan State remains winless after falling home against North Carolina Cent- Central, and South Carolina State will celebrate its win on the long bus ride home from Delaware. And to close out, North Carolina A and T nine Hampton thirty. What's going on with the Aggies there? And Tennessee State twenty eight Eastern Illinois zero. Hampton Hill serve at home as. The North Carolina A&T offense struggled for the second week in a row. Tennessee State took care of business on the road with the shutout of Eastern Illinois. And those are your scores from the various conferences where the historically black college and universities call home. Well, I shall return. I have some more coming for you. It's the A-Train Sports Talk
2: Podcast.
0: So, stay strapped in your seatbelt. The train is still building up some steam. Be right back with you, right after this. Man, I remember being so naive When life was good, weather and palm trees Back in the day, you were everything I need but then along came a time when you crushed my dreams. Oh yeah, you played me like a
1: fool when you made me believe that the lie between love was not to read. Oh yeah, you see we in the spare crime everywhere. You're selling false hope cause you just don't care. Nah, uh, you just don't care.
3: Nah, 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 you just don't, just don't care. Uh, you just don't. Still selling false hope cause you just don't care.
2: House, house, house feel. It. if we talk into a uniform, who the real, you know we.
0: Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, $0.99 a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hi, this is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Oh, yeah, welcome back. It is your conductor the a-train sports talk podcast it's anthony smith so glad you could join me wherever you may be listening you may be hearing this podcast on the anchor platform it could be on spotify google podcast apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from i'm just glad you tuned in and listening so, you want to keep something, want to put some on your mind. Since this podcast, since Anchor is powered by Spotify, you can participate in a poll question, which I will pose. So, yes, I want feedback. I want interaction. I want to see what's on your mind, what you're thinking so you can answer the poll question and you can also leave a comment. Remember that Anchor is powered by Spotify. And remember, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. So now that we got that out of the way, that little housekeeping, let's get back in to some news. We know that Kansas State had a comeback game against Texas Tech. But the game also proved costly for one school however it didn't cause it didn't cause costly in the injury department so let's get into this story right now
3: mean
2: play action
3: thompson getting pressured. He can't get to him and he dumps it off the vaughn wide open left side for the touchdown Well, that was a play where they were trying to get Tech to come with pressure so they could dump it off to Vaughn on the wheel route, and he did it right in front of Rico Jeffers for the score, and Kansas State has the lead for the first time today, 25-24. Nelson Imbanasour just does a great job to get around Deneen, the fullback, who tries to block him. That forces Thompson to run away from him on the right side.
2: So, how did that prove costly?
0: Well, we're going to tell you. Texas Tech fires head coach Matt Wells after a 13 and 17 record names Sonny Comby interim coach. Texas Tech football coach Matt Wells has been fired after two plus seasons in charge. Athletic Director Kirby Hokett said in a Monday afternoon news conference that he met with Wells that morning conceding that Wells was surprised and didn't agree with the decision. Despite the Red Raiders being 5-3 this season, Hoka said Saturday's loss to Kansas State, in which Tech blew a 14-point second-half lead, made it clear that there was no point in waiting. Tech is 0-2 at home in Big 12 games this season and will likely be an underdog in all four remaining games at number 4 Oklahoma, home against number 22 Iowa State, number 15, Oklahoma State, and the finale at number 16, Baylor. Under Wales, Texas Tech is 1-6 against ranked Big 12 opponents since 2019. Only West Virginia, 1-8, and, and Kansas, 0-10, have worse records over that span. That's really no ideal time to make a decision like this, Holcutt said. Just given where we were when we looked at the full body of work in the program collectively, we felt it was inevitable. Sonny Combe, who played quarterback at Texas Tech for Mike Leach between 2000 and 2004, will serve as interim head coach. Combe served as an assistant at Tech between 2009 and 2013, then left for TCU. He returned again this season as offensive coordinator. Wells, in his third season in Lubbock after replacing Cliff Kingsbury, was 13 and 17. He was just 7 and 16 in Big 12 games. And only two of those wins were against teams that finished with a winning record. In 2019, against an eight and five Oklahoma State team, and in 2020, against six and four West Virginia, Wells' .433 winning percentage was the second worst in school's history, to Jerry Moore .309 from 1981 to 85, among coaches who spent more time than one season in Lubbock. We need somebody with that determination, knowledge, and ability to get this program to that next level. Hokus said, we haven't been there in quite some time. We all know it. We get frustrated because we know what we're capable of. We're not going to back away. I get people that will talk to me about, hey, use the word elite. You know what? Yeah, dang, right. We want to be elite. Holcott said the search committee will include Tech Booster and Regent Dusty Wombo, who just made a $20 million donation to the Athletic Department earlier this month. Former Player in Oil and Gas Executive Cody Campbell, former Red Raider running back Sammy Morris, who currently serves as the team's Assistant Director of Player Support Development, and Deputy Athletic Director Tony Hernandez. He said he doesn't have a timetable, for a hire and didn't want to speculate on any new candidates. Holcutt said he expects the Red Raiders to get back to being in bowl games every season and to be contenders into November. We've been number two in the country before, he said, referring to the 2008 season under Leach when Texas was in top 10 for 11 weeks. We can do it again here at Texas Tech. We've just got to take that next step. We've got to find that individual that can bring that missing piece of what's not there to allow us to take that step. Wells was under pressure in Lubbock after last year's 4-6 and finish. He fired offensive coordinator David Yost, who had come with him from Utah State and replaced him with Cumbie. Nobody's going to put more pressure on me than I put on myself, Holcutt said. I want to win. I want to be competitive. I love to see my young man celebrate after success. It cuts me to the core when we don't, and we're not at the level that we want to be at. It cuts these young men at the core. It cuts this coaching staff at the core. Wells is 57 and 51 in eight plus seasons, including for a 44 and 34 mark at Utah State. He was hired as Texas Tech after a 10 and 2 season with the Aggies. And in more coaching news. Pittsburgh Steelers' Mike Tomlin empathetically ends speculation about interest in coaching football opening and college football opening. Yeah, that's right. He had to hurry up and shut that down, didn't he? So let's just see what Coach Mike Tomlinson really had to say. Because while we're waiting for this to come up, I'm still wondering, not only is his name not coming up in the pro ranks, but you don't hear his name being tied to me too many college ranks. And I'm talking about Eric Beenami. Why is that? Anyway, here are comments right now from Mike Tomlin as he squashed these speculations.
3: Mike at uh- any point in your coaching career, did you ever have an interest or express an interest in being a head coach in the college game? And do you have any idea how that may or may not have led to folks like Ryan and Doug Whaley and Carson Palmer connecting you to some college jobs? Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean,
0: that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay. anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that?
2: Way to go, my way to go. (laughs) That was epic. (laughs) He
0: said, Not a booster. (laughs) I know y'all never heard me like this on my podcast before, but that was epic. You would have to, anybody that has YouTube. Just look up the Mike Tomlin interview when they asked
2: him about a college football coaching job. That was epic. Anyway, (laughs) let me get on to this report. Steelers coach
0: Mike Tomlin empathetically said Tuesday that he's not contemplating a move to the college coaching ranks. Not now, not ever. Tomlin shut down speculation that he could be in the mix to fill college coaching vacancies at USC or LSU at the end of his weekly news conference Tuesday. Hey guys, I don't have time for that speculation, Thomas. I mean, that's a joke to me. I got one of the best jobs in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? That will be the last time I address it, not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never, okay. Then he goes on, and says, "Anybody else got any question about any college job? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check." Now you can speculate what blank is. Some of you that got potty mouths, y'all can fill in the blank. He wasn't done yet. After a final call for questions, Tomlin ended one, ended on one final thought. Anybody asking Saints coach Sean Payton about that? Anybody asking the Chiefs coach Andy Reid about stuff like that? Tomlinson's name has, was recently connected to the openings at USC and LSU through speculation by former Buffalo Bills general manager, Doug Whaley, who also spent a decade in the Steelers' front office and former Steelers defensive back and ESPN analyst Ryan Clark. Former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback coach Carson Palmer also floated Tomlinson's name as one that could be in the mix for the USC job. Tomlin, who became the youngest head coach to win the Super Bowl at age 36 when the Steelers beat the Arizona Cardinals in Super Bowl XL 33, I mean, Triple Triple I, I mean, has 154 87 1 record and has never had a losing season since taking a job with the Steelers in 2007. After a brief stint at Virginia Terry Midland Institute, Virginia Military Institute, Memphis, Arkansas State, and Cincinnati. Tomlin joined the NFL coaching ranks as a defensive backs coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2001 before he jumped to the Minnesota Vikings as defensive coordinator in the 2006 season. On to some more speculation. James Franklin, speculation on future with Penn State Nittany Lions, not a distraction to team. Penn State football coach James Franklin is aware of potential distractions about his future with the program, but hasn't seen them affect his team despite recent on-field struggles. Franklin's name has been connected to the USC coaching vacancy since it opened in September. He also has been mentioned as a potential candidate at LSU, which announced earlier this month that coach Ed Orgeron will not return in 2022. That way he can go ahead and chase women's and don't worry after chasing victories. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that, was it? Well, he said it. Anyway, Franklin in his eighth season at Penn State said Tuesday that speculation about his future has not come up in discussions with staff members or players on the team's leadership council. We've kept it very direct, Franklin said. There's things that we have discussions in great detail in our building with our family and the players and the staff. We try to do That the best we possibly can, we've done a pretty good job of that over my eight years here, and we'll continue to try to do that. There's things that we can control, and there's things that we can't from the outside. But this has been a story that's happened on numerous occasions, and we try to keep it as focused as we possibly can. Franklin is 65 and 30 at Penn State with a Big Ten championship in 2016, and three AP top 10 finishes from. 2016 to 19. In February 2020, Franklin received a new contract through 2025 that pays him 5.5 million this year. Penn State went 4 and 5 last year but started 5 and 0 this fall, rising to number 4 nationally before back-to-back losses to then number 3 Iowa and unranked Illinois. The 20th ranked Nittany Lions visit number 5 Ohio State on Saturday night. Asked Tuesday about his commitment to Penn State, Franklin said, I've been asked this question multiple times. Maybe he needs to do a Mike Tomlin. (laughs) I think I've shown over my eight years my commitment to this university and this community. Franklin on Tuesday also addressed him changing agencies from Athletes First, Trace Armstrong, to Jimmy Sexton, Creative Artist Agency, which he said occurred over the summer but was reported this week. The coach was asked about University President Eric Barron who is set to retire in June, and athletic director Sandy Barber, whose contract expires in 2023. There's been a lot of unusual situations. The timing of when I came to Penn State, I took the job here not knowing who the president or AD was going to be, Franklin said. They were both interim at the time. Eric's done an unbelievable job. You know, we all came in at a challenging time in Penn State's history and have worked very well together. Obviously, you want to have an idea of what's going to hold. And I got tremendous faith in our board chairman, Matt Schuler. I've got tremendous faith in our leadership. So there you have some more news concerning NCAA. What I'm going to do.
2: I am going to. I'm thinking about. Since I've already looked at top
0: 25, I'm thinking about maybe giving you the scores from the top 25 or just giving you top 25 rankings. I think that would be more appropriate. I also would like to look at some headlights, but I some so, some highlights. I'm having one of those uh, Kendrick Perkins moments. Can't say the right words. But uh,
2: there were some highlights, some questionable calls. Uh, If we could pull up, if it's possible, there is a, how do I want to say it? I've been saying it this week, that some referees need to just choke on their whistle. And maybe y'all might agree with me.
0: If I can find that, and I might just have to go to
2: YouTube to pull that up. But there was a play in the Oklahoma State, Iowa State game. And it set off a windstorm. I mean,
0: set off a serious windstorm where it appeared as if everybody was on one accord. And hopefully we can pull that up. I'm I'm trying to find it for us right now before I close out this segment. Uh, I'm going to find it. And when I do, I'm going to play for you because it caused a lot of drawback. And I'm pretty sure this
2: referee, he might be getting called into question. I'm going to tell you the play. As As a matter of fact, I have it right here. And we
0: are going to play that for you right now because that, Didn't make no sense how that went down. None whatsoever. So let's see if we can pull that up. And then there was another play that I'm going to play for you too, which I think is worth debate because it's going to be part of my poll question. So let me stop running my mouth and let me play this for you.
1: It's win like conduct. Offense number eight. That penalty will be enforced on the spot of the foul. 15 yard penalty, first down
3: you can see matt campbell's face yeah he doesn't like the excessive celebration but he loves this just a little slant route run pass option it is run to everybody it sucks up the safeties the linebackers you see harvell peel come out of that safety position and there is nobody else home an explosive play if oklahoma state can still score an explosive before half iowa state comes right back out and matches it I
2: think the kids gotta have a little fun. So, on that play, they call excessive celebration or taunting.
0: How in the hell was that taunting? That's what I wanna know. How was that taunting? But you know what? That's not all. I have another play for you right here. Just keep trying,
4: and that's exactly
3: what they're doing. You got to commend them for that. Third and one. Brooks this time. Spins off one. They get stopped. No, Williams took it out of his arms magically. What a play, leaving the Jayhawks shocked in. What a play, leaving the Jayhawks shocked in his wake. Oh, did Caleb Williams Unbelievable. Do that? You talk about a timely, intelligent play. Caleb Williams says, I'll take that, thank you.
4: He says, hey, give me that right there. He takes it from him to get the first down on fourth and one. Oh, my Lord, that is unbelievable.
3: So is that not a forward play? I've got to see that again. Oh, and wondering... Are they going to look at this?
4: Previous play of a
3: first down is under further review. Yes. Or was his forward momentum Mm. stopped? You could say it's his forward momentum, but it's also,
4: it's almost like a a forward handoff here, right? He's taking the ball from it, and it's not a fumble. It's not like he fumbled that away. So would you consider that as like a forward
3: lateral?
2: Mm. It's going to take a minute to unpack this. Anyway. That was, it just depends on what side of the fence you're on. It was a a
0: great play, heads-up play, smart play. Or it was a straw that broke the camel's back. And if you were a Kansas Jayhawk football fan, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because what momentum you had built up, what momentum you might have had, had that whistle been blown, and they would have blew his forward progress stop at that point, you get the ball back in good field position because it's fourth down. And you might have a chance to come away with the upset. But be that as it may, it was deemed a legal play because it was behind the line of scrimmage. But Oklahoma is one of the luckiest high-ranked teams in the country. And they were just a few plays away from being knocked off their undefeated perch. Who could possibly do it? I want to say Oklahoma State, but they got knocked up by Iowa State, and I'm going to get back to that. Because the first highlight you heard, the player was called for taunting. Therefore, the touchdown was wiped away. I've seen worse than that. And they call that a taunting tentatively. So my poll question that I will pose today, I'm going to pose two of them. First, if you've seen the highlight of the Iowa State-Oklahoma State game and the penalty that's in question by the thousands and thousands that were in attendance and the millions and millions who have viewed on social media, should that have been a penalty? I'm going to give you my vote now. Don't let my vote sway you. But my vote says, not only no, but hell no. And the next question would be, should forward progress have been blown? Or was that a legit play? I have to say this. Got to give the devil his due. It was a smart play. Anyway, I'm about to bring this train into the station. I have enjoyed myself, and I hope you have enjoyed me as well, too. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. It's been an enjoyable ride. I hope you've enjoyed the ride. Pulling in, getting ready to check out. Remember, Anchor is powered by Spotify. Remember, Anchor is also the easiest way to make a podcast. No minimum listenership, just do it. Also, I can be heard on multiple places where you listen to podcasts at. Like I said, this is powered by Spotify, so you can hear me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. Anyway, the poll question will be up on Spotify, so please, give me some feedback. Tell me what you think. Leave a comment. It's your host and conductor of the A-Train Sports Talk Pod, Anthony Smith. I've enjoyed myself. Until next time, take care. God bless.